0: Section 13 of The Fourth Dimension Simply Explained by Henry Parker Manning This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Avaee in July 2016. Essay 11. Some Fourth Dimension Curiosities by Crepuscular Sublucent, G. M. Aklum, M. A., New York City. Before commencing any explanation of what is popularly, that is, physically, meant by a fourth dimension, it is necessary to preface that the expression is often used in an entirely different, that is, a mathematical sense, which bears no relation to the conception of an actual universe of four dimensions. Mathematically speaking, the fourth dimension is merely a device of demonstrable utility for the solution of problems in geometry and algebra concerned with more than three independent variables, and is simply a convenient expedient of the same character as square root of minus one, a to the power of n, or any other quantities impossible of actual conception, which yet, Through the allotting to them of meanings which do not conflict with the laws of real numbers, we are able to use and find of great service in the extension of mathematical operations. For instance, a given particle of gas would require an expression of four algebraical dimensions if, in addition to its location in space, its density is to be considered. In geometry, a line possessing one dimension, length, being moved at right angles to its direction, traces out a surface of two dimensions. A surface moved at right angles to the directions of both its dimensions traces out a solid of three dimensions. And could we but find a direction at right angles to all of the three directions of these dimensions, a solid moved in this new direction would, we must suppose, trace out a figure of four dimensions. We are not able to visualize such a figure, but it is a simple matter to predicate some of its characteristics. For instance, the projection of a cube may be made onto a plane, or even onto a line. Similarly, a tesseract, the name given to the fourth-dimension figure traced by the motion of a cube, may be projected on three-dimension space, or even a plane. Draw the complete diagram of a cube, edge one inch, at a distance less than one inch away in any direction, repeat the diagram. Then join all the corresponding points of the two figures, and the result is the plane projection of a tesseract. From it may be observed that, just as a cube is determined by eight points and twelve lines and bounded by six squares, So the tesseract is determined by 16 points, 32 lines, 24 squares, and bounded by 8 cubes. Three-dimension webs, or projections of four-dimension figures in space, can with a little more difficulty be made, in fact, have been made in Germany by Dr. V. Schlegel. Now, In order to gradually attain to the conception of a physical universe of four dimensions, we may consider that an infinite number of lines, that is, one dimension figures, laid side by side make up a plane, that is, a two dimension figure, and an infinite number of planes laid one on top of the other form a solid, that is, a three dimension figure, and therefore, by analogy, an infinite number of three-dimension figures allocated in the requisite direction, if we only knew how to do it, would compose a four-dimension figure. Or, putting the idea in a slightly different form, a line may be considered as an infinitely thin slice of a surface, a surface as an infinitely thin slice of a solid, and so a solid merely as an infinitely thin slice of an extra solid four-dimension figure. Expanding this idea to the whole universe, we see that it follows, as a matter of course, that an infinite number of two-dimension universes is capable of being contained in our space, and, similarly, a universe of four dimensions would of necessity contain an infinite number of universes such as ours. If we figure to ourselves the conditions of existence in a world of two dimensions, it and note the relation such a world would bear to the three-dimension world in which it might lie, we shall get some instructive analogies to the relations which would obtain between our universe and a universe of four dimensions which may be conceived to enfold it. For instance, the world of an oyster or that of a thin, flat, non-burrowing worm would be approximately two dimensions, while by a reductio ad ultimum, of these approximate conditions, and by supposing the worm incapable of cognizance of motion up or downward, we may obtain a very fair representation of life in a mathematical plane. For the sake of economy in words, it will be well to call the two-dimension universe we are examining a plane, the three-dimension universe in which it lies space, and the suppositious enveloping four-dimension universe extra space and also to designate their inhabiting organisms by the symbols P, S, and E, respectively. Now it can be easily seen that for P a line in his plane forms an insuperable barrier, since he is capable of no up- or down-motion, just as a wall of infinite height would be for S in space. In the accompanying diagram, figure 1, If P wishes to move from the position A to the position B, it is obvious that he will have to move round the edge of the line xy, which, from the nature of the case, he can neither see over nor across, while the object A inside the closed quadrilateral RS is as invisible and as inaccessible to him as it would be to S if contained in a closed room in space. Now. It is also perfectly clear that to S, who may be imagined to be occupying a position in space immediately above this plane, the line XY is no barrier, should he wish to move from the spot A to the spot B along the plane, which offers a perfectly free and uninterrupted field for his movement and vision. So that S can, by picking the object A up out of the plane an infinitely small distance into space, and putting it down in the plane again outside of R.S., render it, as by a miracle, both visible and accessible to P, at A. Thus the whole of P's world lies open and defenceless to the vision and active interference of S. Nothing can be so covered or walled up as to be hidden from him or out of his reach. In a precisely analogous manner we may imagine that E, from the mysterious recesses of his extra space, would be able to act at will on S's world, and to see everything that S imagined to be hidden. A letter locked in a safe in a barricaded cellar is as easily seen and removed by E as the object A is by S. Anything whatever in space, within E's reach, may be made to disappear instantly by the simple process of E moving it one billionth of an inch into extra space, whence he could return it to space in some different spot, or not, at his pleasure, and that without any interference with the integrity of the box, room, or receptacle in which the object may have been originally contained, for E does not have to penetrate it merely to step into extra space from the outside of the room and back again into space on the inside of the room. Again, consider two figures, CD and EF, in the plane, diagram 2, which have their sides and angles equal in every respect. It is clear that P may convince himself of their identical equality of sides and angles by measurement, but by no possible amount of turning EF about can he make it congruent to CD, that is, capable of being put in such a position that it can be made to coincide with CD by superposition. Yet S can do this to P impossible thing by taking EF up into space, there turning it over and replacing it in the plane as E'F', a figure bearing the same relation to EF as its own reflection in a mirror. An exactly analogous process may be performed by E with a solid belonging to space. For instance, suppose G and H to be two pyramids, irregular but exactly symmetrical to each other and on equal basis as in diagram 3. It is obvious that we may by measurement and calculation establish their equality of cubic content, but by no conceivable turning about of h can we make it fill the same actual space as g, supposing of course that g is removed at the time. But nothing would be easier for E than to take up h into extra space, there turn it about, and return it to space. Now it will in every way be not only equal to g, but exactly congruent to it and able to fit into the exact portion of space occupied by G. A somewhat similar action is performed in space when we turn a right-hand glove inside out and so make it exactly congruent to the left-hand one, whereas previously it was only perfectly symmetrical to it. From these considerations we deduce that anybody in space which is symmetrical to another can, by being turned about in the fourth dimension, be made identically equal to the other and symmetrical to its own previous self. Once more, imagine S to pass completely through P's plane and consider how the process will affect P's consciousness. Of course, Only a section of S can exist in the plane at any given moment, though it is quite possible to conceive of every portion of S being in the plane at one moment or another during the passing. Consequently, by no possible means can P become aware that S is anything but a plane. At the same time, there is little doubt that S's passage would present some inexplicable features to the observation of P. To begin with, unless S happened to be in the form of a right prism or cylinder and struck the plane with its base exactly parallel to the plane, the section presented to P's observation would vary continually in size and contour during the passage. Even such a regular solid as a sphere would appear as a circle of gradually increasing and then diminishing circumference, While, if we consider an involved solid, such as a piece of rope with a few knots, coils and hitches in it, we can see that P might well be hard put to it to comprehend that these alternately separated and conjoined, irregular and perpetually varying areas in his plane were parts of a single whole, let alone the fact that this whole, could he only know it, is meanwhile in reality not changing its shape at all merely its position in space. The same difficulty will obviously be present to S in the passage of E or any other fourth dimension body through space. S can in no possible way become cognizant of more than a section of E at once, and that section must appear to him as a solid, possibly of varying size, shape and character, and possibly also disappearing and reappearing owing to extra-spatial convolutions as several distinct bodies. In any case, it will be excessively improbable that S will form any adequate conception of the shape or nature of E as a whole, or even be in a position to recognize E at any future apposition, for his doing so will presuppose that he has encountered exactly the same infinitesimal section of E as before, presented at precisely the same angle in space. It is not easy at first to conceive of any circumstances under which a section of a body must be a solid, but a glimmer of this possibility may be arrived at thus. Consider the gradual growth of some fixed body, a melon, say, from its birth in the flower to its full development as a large fruit. Every day we have a slightly larger and slightly different shaped solid than we had the day before. Now, taking up a position alongside the melon, think of time as a fourth dimension and visualize in a row the successive shapes which the melon has assumed since its birth thus looking back along the direction of time as it were we can mentally become aware of a figure similar to an enlarged elephant tusk and made up of a vast number of slightly varying and gradually increasing melon shapes imposed one on the other and each growing into the one beside it this figure observed does not exist in space for there has never been more than one melon shape as far as our actual senses are concerned but it may be conceived to have a very real existence in time, our suppositious fourth dimension. And, moreover, it possesses the property of a fourth dimension figure, for at any given second, that is, when a section of the figure in time is made, the section appears to us as a solid, a melon. Were we capable of experiencing two widely separated moments in time and their connecting moments... All simultaneously, our melon, and indeed every other growing thing on earth, might appear to us in the manner here conceived of. Again, in thinking of P's world, we have imagined the plane to be, so far, a rigidly level superficies. But it is quite apparent that, since P is incapable of cognizance of any motion or object outside his own world, these superficies might be curved in space without affecting him or his surroundings or even interfering with the correctness of his scientific observations, since those observations take place exclusively in the superficies, just as the curvature of a sheet of paper will not vitiate the accuracy of a demonstration in plane geometry previously drawn on it. P's world might even be rolled up on itself, so that two places, or beings, which are an enormous distance, measured in the plane, apart, may be infinitely close to each other when the measurement is made along what s will see as the shortest line, that is, the distance separating them in space. Applying this conception to space, we can see that s's world, in a precisely analogous manner, might be curved twisted or even involved, in extra space, without S having any possible means of becoming aware of the fact. This, of course, opens up the possibility that two bodies, say the Earth and Sun, which are, measured in space, millions of miles apart, may, if the measurement were made along the axis of the fourth dimension, prove to be close together, or actually touching. Some such explanation as this has, as a matter of fact, been invoked occasionally to account for various phenomena, such as the action of various natural forces across vacua of infinite extent, telepathy, and the like. If our space were thus curved, certain places might be actually much nearer in space of four dimensions than they are in our space, but the difference would in most cases be very slight. H-P-M. End footnote. But just as Euclidean plane geometry fails utterly on an irregularly curved surface where the three angles of a triangle are not equivalent to two right angles, so our solid geometry would prove to be fundamentally incorrect in any portion of space which had such a curvature in extra space. Thus we may see that by extending our ideas of the possibilities of existence downward to a world of two dimensions, it is quite possible, if not to obtain actual information, at least to get glimpses of what relations the fourth dimension world would bear to our universe, supposing it to exist. Though it is only fair to say that just as a mathematically plain world would be utterly incapable of apprehension by our three-dimensional senses, so a world of four or more dimensions, while not impossible of conception, would be equally beyond the reach of our present faculties, so that worlds of two, four, five, or even n dimensions may coexist with space in the universe we are familiar with and we all the while be blissfully unconscious of the fact. End of section 13